Hello, Bethel Church family. I wanted to share with you some information that came out of our session meeting this past Monday night. I was thankful to be able to meet with the elders of the church as we consider how to best lead you during this very unusual time of coronavirus. Five of us met in the fellowship hall at the church in person, and three others joined our meeting virtually. And we asked at the beginning of our meeting, we asked the Lord for wisdom. And I am thankful that he gave us a united perspective for how to wisely proceed in the coming months. We decided that once the governor lifts the stay-at-home order and moves Washington County to the yellow phase, that we are going to permit small gatherings like Bible studies and Titus II groups, and we will permit them to meet. However, this decision of whether or not to meet is up to the individual groups. The elders strongly encourage you to take precautions at these gatherings when they become possible so as not to potentially spread the virus that we are worried about spreading. The fellowship hall is available as a, large sp a larger space where a group could meet while maintaining some distance between people. The church also has fast enough internet to incorporate people who would prefer to join the meeting virtually. And hopefully, the weather will get warmer soon so that some of these smaller groups could meet outdoors. Additionally, the elders voted to cancel Sunday school for the remainder of the spring. Families with children will be receiving the last set of Sunday school materials sometime next week. I want to thank our Sunday school teachers for serving this year by sharing God's word with the children of the church. I'm not sure we will be able to thank you in person anytime soon, but I want to say thank you. It is great to share the word with the children of our church, and I am so thankful for your hard work. This is not exactly how we expected the last few months to end. As for the adult Sunday school class, I intend to hold two or three virtual classes before the end of June in order to finish the last three chapters of Revelation. For those who cannot participate virtually, recordings of the classes will be made available. The session also decided to cancel Vacation Bible School for this summer. It is one of our favorite times every year, but the uncertain variables of holding VBS this year were just too risky for us to consider going forward. We know the children would be unable to keep from sharing germs during the songs, games, and other activities at VBS. And we didn't want volunteers to feel obligated to help if they were worried about the virus. We also didn't want to have our key volunteers and leaders spend countless hours planning and preparing only to have to cancel VBS at the last moment. But the good news in all of this is that we are way ahead in planning for next year's VBS. The last decision that Session made is probably what you are most curious about, and it pertains to Sunday worship. The session voted to cancel all gathered worship services during the month of May. While I completely agree with this decision, it deeply saddens me because it means we won't get to gather again for the rest of this month. I miss that weekly joy of praising God with all of you, with my church family here in the sanctuary. Though we have canceled for the next few weeks, we are diligently preparing for a return to gathered worship. 
We spent a significant portion of our meeting last Monday discussing what precautions or adjustments we should make to our weekly worship service. Things will certainly be different and feel quite weird, but thankfully these measures will only be temporary. But all of our careful planning is really dependent upon you, the congregation. We want to provide a worship environment that minimizes risk while still keeping our focus on the Lord. And we know that some of you are uneasy about the prospect of gathering again for worship in the near future while others of you would have gladly met this coming Sunday, May 10th. We know that people are going to feel differently about when and how to get together. And this will present a great challenge to the unity of our church body. Some people will be tempted to look down on others for being too risky and wanting to get back together too quickly, while others will be tempted to look down on others for being too cautious and fearful about gathering. There is no right answer. And there is certainly no right answer for all people. And so we need to be respectful and loving towards those who think differently than we do. We need to remember that loving our church family and staying unified is far more important than getting others to agree with our perspective, whatever it may be. And we as church leaders want to know your perspective which is why I plan to send out a survey to the congregation in the coming days that will allow you to provide the elders with some much-needed feedback. We want to know how you're feeling about the prospect of gathering again. What factors will most influence your decision of whether or not to come back to corporate worship? And what worries you have about your children or about others within the church? And so when you receive a survey, please thoughtfully complete it so that we can best serve the whole congregation going forward. And as you do, please continue to pray for me and for the church elders as we wisely seek to lead you in service of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now let us join together in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father. We come to you this week again in prayer, acknowledging that you are father of us all, that we are your sons and daughters in Jesus Christ, and the one Holy Spirit unites all of us. And so we pray, O God, that you would strengthen our unity, that you would protect us from the desires to get our own way, that you would protect us from the many gray areas in which we are going to disagree in the coming months. We pray, O God, that you would please keep us united in love for one another, Help us to respectfully discuss with one another our reasons for wanting to gather or our reasons for not wanting to gather in the coming months. We pray, O God, that you would please continue to bless the church leaders with wisdom. Help us to discern the best path forward and when we can gather again and what and how that will look like. God, I pray that you would please bless us in that way. For we do desire to serve you. We desire to worship you. We also seek to obey your commands, to submit to our civil authorities, as well as to love our neighbors, especially those who are vulnerable to this virus. And so, Father, we lift up these prayers to that end. Lord, we also think this week of the Mother's Day holiday. It's going to be a different Mother's Day this year. 
Many of us are not going to be able to get together as we would normally do with our family and friends. And many mothers are going through very difficult times. There are plenty of mothers of younger children who are overwhelmed by the prospect of putting their kids through online school as well as having their kids at home all the time with nowhere to send them, whether it be to athletic practices or to other activities. And so, God, we pray that you would give endurance and steadfastness and patience and love to those mothers enduring these long days and weeks. We pray also for those working mothers who are trying to balance working from home with everything else in their lives. Lord, give them a sense of peace about what they have to do. We pray also for those who worry about seeing their mother or those mothers who worry about seeing their kids because they don't want to put their loved ones at risk. And so we pray, O oh God, that you would provide opportunities for us to connect, whether it be over the phone or over FaceTime or video chat or just through windows or from a distance. We pray, O oh God, that you would help maintain those connections between mothers and children. Father, we do thank you for the gift of mothers. And we pray, O oh God, that you would be with those who are expectant mothers as well in this uncertain time, not knowing what uh, the virus may entail for those who are pregnant and for infant children. We pray that you would give them a sense of peace and trust in you and that you would protect them. Father, we do lift up these prayers for unity and for, for mothers, knowing that you hear us and that you are a loving and gracious God. And so we lift up these prayers and so many more. And we do ask, O oh God, that you would bring an end to this virus, that your healing hand would be upon the earth, and that you, O oh Lord, would protect us, protect the vulnerable, protect the weak, strengthen those who are caregivers and health care workers, give wisdom to leaders in positions of authority, O oh God. And Lord, help us to rely on you above all else more than any model, more than any government orders, more than any personal opinions. Help us to rely on You, O oh God, as we face these uncertain days. And so wherever we are this week and whenever we are gathering, we join together in praying the words that unite us in, in prayer that Jesus taught His disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Last week, we started the final section of the book of Isaiah, which we find in chapters 56 through 66. These chapters tie up loose ends and make points of application for the message of the prophet Isaiah. Last week in chapter 56, we saw that Isaiah urged God's people to practice what they preach through the empowering grace and the steadfast love of our God. We're skipping over chapter 57 because it touches on themes that we've seen multiple times in Isaiah. 
the idea that God's people and especially their leaders were ultimately idolatrous and needed to humble themselves in repentance and rely on the mercy of their holy God. And so this week we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 58, which instructs God's people to stop self-focused religious performance and instead seek the Lord by doing what pleases Him. So wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this, I would encourage you to open up your Bibles. We're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 58. I'll be reading the whole chapter, verses 1 through 14. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, Then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, 
from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we give thanks for your word. I thank you, O God, even in these times when we are prevented from gathering together in worship, that your word can still go forth. And I thank you for these methods of technology that can deliver the Word. And I thank You, O God, that You can even work through time. For as I record this on Thursday morning, I don't know when people are listening to Your Word, but I pray by Your Holy Spirit that You, O God, would use Your Word in the hearts and in the minds of Your people. That You would give them ears to hear And use me in spite of my sin to proclaim, to expound, and to apply your word. And that we would all glorify you by hearing your word as your word. And so listening to it as the words of life. So bless us this day through the preaching and hearing of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking at Isaiah 58, the big idea that I want us to hear is this. Let us seek the Lord not only through personal religious practices, but also through sacrificial obedience, so that it is clear He, the Lord our God, is our true delight. As we go through Isaiah 58, we are going to see how Isaiah diagnoses the problem in verses 1 through 5. And then we're going to see how the Lord provides a solution in verses 6 through 12. And then finally, we're going to seek how to apply it to our setting using verses 13 and 14. So we can tell there is something wrong that the Lord wants Isaiah to address. Because in verse 1, Isaiah is told, Cry aloud! Do not hold back! Lift up your voice like a trumpet! So this is not a minor error for Isaiah to politely address, but a serious problem that requires an alert, like a smoke alarm. So Isaiah is instructed to declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. What are those sins? Well, it seems their understanding of religion had devolved into practices and rituals that were self-focused and therefore ineffective. This problem of self-focused religious practices had plagued Israel and Judah for generations, and it needed to be addressed, especially in light of the promised Messiah's saving work to renew God's people. So Isaiah tackles this subject using the example of fasting in the opening verses. In verse 3, we hear the complaint from God's people. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? The people expressed their attempts at doing the right thing. They did the right rituals. They fasted. They humbled themselves. Why hasn't God held up his 
end of the arrangement. That all sounds very mechanical and manipulative. It makes me think of our puppy, Lucy. Every morning we let her outside to go to the bathroom. But within 20 minutes, she wants to go back outside. She wants to go back out because she knows that if she goes out this second time and poops in her designated area, she will then get a treat when she comes back inside as a reward. Now, we don't always let her out right away this second time. And so she gives us this look. And the look is not, I need to go outside to use the bathroom. The look is more, hey, I want to do my part to get the thing that I want. Let me out. That is what God's people were doing with their fasting. They were fasting and humbling themselves to get what they wanted. To trigger the release of God's blessing in their lives. This is why Isaiah criticizes them in the second half of verse 3. He says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. They do not fast because they actually want to humble themselves before God. They display no attitude of humility at all. In fact, their attempt to control the system of blessing shows a warped belief that God works for them. He must dispense the blessing if they do the correct practice. Seems like an awfully harsh assessment of God's people. How do we know for sure that they are fasting wrongly other than that's what the Bible says? What evidence is presented that they are truly seeking their own pleasure? Well, we are given three pieces of evidence. First, in verse 2, we are given a description of their self-righteous attitude. We read, They seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They seek the Lord as if their fasting had made them righteous, even though there is little evidence of righteousness outside of their rituals. It's seen in the second piece of evidence in verses 3 and 4. We see they are uncaring towards others. We read, You oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Their commitment to fasting has not extended into a commitment to love their neighbors. They continue to oppress people in direct contact with them. Note, it is your workers. They also seem to love their religious practices so much that they want to argue with anyone who thinks differently than them. They care more about being right than being righteous. Isaiah then shows us a third piece of evidence that's really obvious throughout the passage. But in verse 5, he states it clearly. Their religious practices are only skin deep. They may not eat. They may, they may be wearing sackcloth and putting ashes on themselves. They may appear humble and repentant. But all of those things are a show. The humility and repentance do not come from the heart, 
verse 5 ends with the critical question, will you call this a fast, this show, and a day acceptable to the Lord? The answer is meant to be obvious. No. This kind of self-focused religious practice is not acceptable to the Lord. Isaiah here uses the practice of fasting to make his point, which can make it easy for Christians today to quickly dismiss this as an issue that doesn't apply to us because, well, we usually don't fast. Our religious practices are different. Our practices are weekly worship attendance, at least when we're allowed. Our private prayers, our personal Bible reading, our monetary giving to the church. Those are our practices. And we need to ask, do we do those things for our own pleasure? Do we do those activities because we want to get something in return? Do we do them to feel like we're good people? Do we do them to be seen by others so that they think we're good people? Like Jesus was talking about in our New Testament reading from Matthew 6. Have our religious practices become empty habits instead of earnest ways to seek the Lord? If so, then we must ask whether what we are doing is acceptable to the Lord. So, what is acceptable to the Lord? We can hopefully agree that this kind of self-focused religious behavior is sinful, that the religiosity of verses 1 through 5 is a problem. But what then is the solution? After all, in verse 2, God's sinful people thought they were seeking God daily. They thought they were delighting to know His ways when they were fasting and doing other religious practices. But it was their actions that revealed otherwise that they were seeking their own pleasure. So how do we know whether or not we are seeking the Lord instead of seeking our own pleasure? This is what Isaiah answers in verses 6 through 12. And he points us to a crucial piece of evidence that seems somewhat unrelated to religious practices. He tells us that one sure sign that someone is seeking the Lord is whether or not they are pursuing justice for the oppressed and sacrificially loving the poor. One commentator writes, There is no clearer evidence of the presence of God in a person's life than the replication of God's behavior to give himself away to those who can never repay him. To give himself away to those who can never repay him. That's what God's like. Is that being replicated in us? This selfless love, especially for the poor and marginalized, is clear evidence that our religious behavior is not simply for ourselves. The Lord speaks through Isaiah saying that He chooses this selfless love over, over self-focused fasting. We can fast and do other religious practices for our own reason. 
We can pay the cost of the action, hoping to get something in return. But by sacrificing for the poor, we do, we do that not to get anything in return. Because seeking to feed the poor necessarily means sacrificing something we have, either food, money, or time. And we do that so others can have enough. Seeking justice for the oppressed usually means giving up some power or privilege to a group of people that lacks both. These acts are not done in hopes of getting something in return, even showing others we're good people. No, they are done out of an understanding that we are all people. That's what we read at the end of verse 7. Not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Isaiah isn't thinking exclusively about our own relatives, but the fact that every person in the world is a man or woman made in the image of God just like we are. They are image bearers with dignity worthy of our compassion and concern. So often we look down on those who are already cast down. We can be quick to dismiss the poor as people who have made their own bed and chosen their own misery. We expect them to rise above their circumstances because we've heard that people can do that. Not remembering how many people helped us get to where we are today. These attitudes are what the Lord seeks to root out of His people. We read in verses 9-10, through 10, If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Note that it isn't just tangible help that the Lord calls for. He desires people to stop pointing the finger and speaking wickedness. He wants people to stop putting down the poor and to see them as people made in the image of God as people whom God created and loves, people on whom we should have compassion, for whom we should sacrifice. God desires these attitudes more than fasting and other religious practices because they are clearly evidence of someone seeking the Lord. But this evidence can only exist in those people who have had their own spiritual poverty satisfied by the Lord and been satisfied through the work of the servant, Jesus Christ. See, we could not fulfill these if-then statements in verses 6-12 through 12 in our own strength. But in Christ... The yoke has been broken and He has taken us from the slavery of sin and given us the freedom of forgiveness. He took rebel outcasts like us and gave us a home as adopted children of God. Jesus poured Himself out for us so that we could receive all of the blessings enumerated in verses 8-12. through 12. You see, it is in Christ our light can break forth in the darkness like the dawn when we see the truth of our sinful attempts at religion, trying to get what we want. The light breaks forth as the wisdom of God shows us how we can be pleasing to God and how we truly seek Him. It is in Christ we find healing as the Spirit slowly removes the poison of selfishness from us. 
It is in Christ that we are covered in His protective righteousness, surrounding us like strong walls against our doubts that we are not good enough. It is in Christ that we are nourished like a well-watered garden, drawing on God's abundant grace to continually give to others in need around us. Too often, we seek the Lord only through personal religious practices. We prefer these safe, measurable, familiar practices that make us feel close to God. It can be easy to hold up our prayer life, our Bible reading, our worship attendance and say, these things please the Lord. Those things can please the Lord. Don't get me wrong. But they do so when they are done for His pleasure, not ours. You see, in addition to those religious practices, God also calls us to please Him by sacrificially loving the poor. So if our personal devotion to the Lord is not driving us to love our neighbors, then we need to take a closer look at the God we claim to serve. And what better time to do that than on a Sunday? How I miss our Sundays together. Especially looking at these verses in 13 and 14 here at the end of chapter 58. Chapter 58 ends with an application of these principles concerning seeking the Lord and pleasing Him instead of seeking our own pleasure. And the application comes from the idea of honoring the Sabbath or what we call on Sunday the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. See, the Sabbath can easily become one of those religious practices that is done for our own purposes. We see that in the Gospels with the Pharisees of Jesus' day, that they treated it as a measuring stick for truly religious people. But Isaiah doesn't tell us to throw out the Sabbath and forget it. He tells us to remember its purpose. That we are called to delight in the Sabbath, in the Lord's day, as a day when we can remember who God is and what He has done for us and who He calls us to be. And we get to rest in the good news that Jesus has saved us and has done all that is required of us and empowers us to live as God's people. This rest is not a selfish rest where we show God, look at how good at resting I am. Rather, we rest on the Sabbath by remembering His grace. How in spite of our tendency to go our own way, in spite of our tendency to seek our own pleasure, in spite of our tendency to idly boast about our religiosity and our practices, the Lord has graciously saved us in Jesus Christ. We are reminded to delight in the Lord Himself instead of to use Him for His blessings. We are called to rest in what Jesus has done for us instead of boast and worry about all we try to do for Him. So this week on the Lord's Day, let us pray the words of our Old Testament reading from Psalm 27. 
God has said, seek my face. God wants to be sought. He wants to be our delight. So let us ask the Holy Spirit to help us seek His face and to delight in the God of our salvation. And may we be shaped by Him in such a way that we seek to please Him every day of the week by letting our love of God overflow into heartfelt religious practices and into love for our neighbors, especially those who are poor and needy. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You this week and we seek You not as if we had done righteousness in and of ourselves. No, we seek You as if we were righteous because You tell us in Christ we are. And so we come to You and seek You in prayer knowing we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we ask You, O Lord, help us to delight in You. Help us to seek what pleases You instead of our own pleasure. May our pleasure be delighting in You. And Lord, help us to not only do so in private, personal religious practices that are for ourselves and for You in strengthening our relationship, but also let that overflow into our care for the needy, for our neighbors, for the poor around us. Lord, we may not have the power to break the yokes of oppression in all of the systemic problems in our nation and in our community, but Lord, we can pray for those yokes to be broken. We can pray, O oh God, and we can support those working for justice. And we can uplift and care for the poor, giving them dignity, O oh God. Help us to uphold justice. Help us, O oh Lord, to change our perspective on those who are poor and vulnerable and needy and oppressed. Instead of pointing fingers or speaking wickedly about them, help us to feed them and to welcome them in their destitution, O oh God. Help us to extend to them sacrificial love that expects nothing in return, not even a good job from those who see us. But may we do so because we desire to be like you who saw us in our spiritual poverty and who lavished on us such riches of grace that we know we are loved and cared for by an amazing God a God worth delighting in. So Spirit, help us delight. Help us delight in our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.